tell you how much I appreciate uh, JT and Linnell and their whole family. And, and I tell you, I can't wait until next 4th of July. It may take that long to get over this one. Um, I don't think it's probably not good to have 4th of July right near camp, but so we need to change the 4th of July, I think, next year. But what if you missed it, then you missed out on a blessing. Uh, and I want to go ahead and mention something to you. Well, first, anyone who had a part in it in helping any small part, no matter what that was, thank you. Uh, we had difficulties. We had rain. Uh, we had to go acoustic. We had all these issues. We were behind a little bit. But I've heard nothing but positive. And if you tell me something negative, I'm probably just punch you right in the throat or something like that. So uh, I won't do that. I won't spread that around. But it was a wonderful time, and I'm just super glad JT and his family is with us, and I'm anxiously awaiting what's coming in the next year. That being said, uh, to do something like that is pretty expensive, and so we're going to start today, JT. We're going to start today, and if you want to give to Unite Celebration for next year, just write it out to First Baptist Church, tag it Unite Celebration, just put Unite Celebration down there, and, uh, and we'll put it in the pot, and we'll get rolling right now for next year. Uh, it's going to be even bigger and bigger, better. That's our that's our dream. So I, I appreciate and I definitely appreciate your hard work. Um, and now you got a week off for vacation, right? Yeah, yeah. Keep between two camps, yes. So, oh yeah, you had a camp right before too, didn't you? Yeah. I too was once young. Okay, Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 12. Uh, this morning we're going to continue in our study of Matthew in our mini-series um, called A King's Conflicts. And so I just want to kind of catch us up. We've been spotty. We've, I've been gone. We've had come back, had been out of Matthew. So I want to kind of catch us all up of where we've been. And when we started in the book of Matthew, if we were just going through there, it'd be John the Baptist introducing the king to the nation. He introduces Jesus Christ at his baptism. He, he introduces and begins to preach about this king that's coming. And, and then Jesus, as his ministry begins, he reveals to everyone around his person, all of his principles that we found in Matthews 5, 6, and 7, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and then his power, all the way to the end of chapter 10. And so the stage has been set. Jesus Christ is on scene. He's told them how it's going to be. And now, as we've stated before, it's time for the nation of Israel to accept or neglect Jesus Christ. And believe it or not, I do, I want to tell you this morning, uh, if I believe that if Israel would have stepped up right then, and accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, everything would have been different. So you as a Gentile, I'm kind of thankful, and me as a Gentile, I'm kind of thankful that maybe they were a little stubborn because the Bible is quickly shifting as we go through Matthew to the Gentiles. And you'll see that as we go through. 
in chapters 11, 12, we get the answer that the Israelites are giving um, Jesus. And it's simply rebellion. It's just rebellion. We're going to rebel against everything that you stood for. We're going to see, or we have seen already, the rebellion against his prophet and Jesus himself. Uh, today we're going to talk about the rebellion against all of his principles, all those things that he laid out in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. We're talking about those. And then rebellion against his power and even the person of Jesus Christ. And it begins that downward spiral that we know ends at the cross. I guess that depends on how you look at it, right? It may be a downward spiral, but for us, it begins everything as Jesus dies on that so we've looked at chapter 11, and now we're going to look this morning at chapter 12. If you would please stand, let's read the first seven verses. Chapter 12 of the book of Matthew, and starting in verse 1, he says, that, At that time Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples became hungry and began to pick the, head of grain, the heads of grain and eat. But when the Pharisees saw this, they, they said to him, Look, your disciples do what is not lawful to do on a Sabbath. But he said to them, Have you not read what David did when he became hungry? He and his companions, how he entered the house of God and they ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those with him, but for the priest alone. Or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath the priests in the temple break the Sabbath and are innocent? But I say to you that something greater than the temple is here. But if you had known what this means, I desire compassion and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we need to hear from you today. We need to understand your word. So, Father, I pray that it is your word that they hear and not mine. Father, I pray that your word would not return void. And Father, as your scripture says, if, it's, if this word is open and, and it is preached and it is given to the people, that you'll do something with it, and that's what we're anxiously expecting this morning. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. According to the scribes and Pharisees, that's a bad thought right off the bat, isn't it? According to the scribes and Pharisees, those who wrote the law and those who supposedly knew all about the law and taught the law and lifted up the law, according to them, Jesus Christ and his disciples have sinned against God because they picked grain. They worked on the Sabbath. End of story. I'm no longer preaching on Sunday. I'm no longer going to work on the Sabbath because it's the law, right? Let me read for you what the true law is. According to them, it was unlawful for Jesus and them to do this, but in Deuteronomy 23, verses 24 and 25, he says this. He says, when you enter your neighbor's vineyard, then you may eat grapes until you are fully satisfied but you shall not put any in your basket. Oh, but he's talking about grapes, right? 
And then he continues, he says, when you enter your neighbor's standing grain, then you may, may pluck the heads with your hand, but you shall not wield a sickle in your neighbor's standing grain. See, there's a difference there, isn't there? What are we talking about? They rebelled. They, these, they were supposed to accept Jesus Christ, and now these scribes and Pharisees are looking for something. And they are so ingrained in religion. Did I just say that? They are so ingrained in religious ordinances and all how things they think and, and all the laws that man made that they are totally missing the great and big picture that God has planned. So in response to this, Christ gives us a threefold reply. I'm going to give that to you. We're not going to go through the, this entire section here, but I want to give you three things this morning. I want to show you first that he spoke of a king. And that king was David. He points out that his men had eaten out of the temple. And so David and his, not just his men, it's these soldiers, they're, they're going, they're famished, they're hungry, and they, they come to the temple, and instead, of, and instead of just starving, there was consecrated bread there. But that consecrated bread, according to the law, was for the priest only. And so Jesus is telling them, look, you're saying we're doing wrong. I'm Jesus Christ, Lord of the Sabbath, he says. I'm doing wrong, but yet your king David and all his men ate bread they weren't supposed to eat, and you didn't condemn them. You see where he's going? He mentions this king. It, it's a thought that, that I want to put a manly type law on something. And the whole thing we're going to get today, you're going to hear several times, is this, mercy and love. See, that's what God's all about. Start in the beginning in Genesis 1 and begin and read all the way through Revelation. Yes, all the way through Revelation even. All you see in Scripture, not all you see, but the, a, a bulk is this. Mercy, God's mercy, and love. And that's what he's asking of us. Anybody disagree with that? God's mercy and love. And we should be showing mercy and love. Instead of picking him apart, saying, you can't grab the grain off of that. But they are trying to put man's laws on something that's God's laws. His men were hungry. And the fact of the matter is, I read you the law before. It is lawful for them to go through someone's field and grab a head of grain or grapes and eat them. You just can't go through gathering and put it up. That's where the work begins. God doesn't want you to, he doesn't want any of his people to be hungry. He doesn't want any of his people to go without. And it was just known that that was part of the deal. You had a crop and somebody came through and they was hungry. It was okay for them to reach out and grab some of that grain and put it in their mouth and be okay with it. But yet through the years... Man, these scribes and Pharisees, turn the law into something manly. I want to tell you today, every time man gets involved with something, guess what happens? 
messed up. Every time man tries to, to, to venture away, well, I think God may be saying this. So we should do this, this, and this. Can I give you an example of some of these manly laws that people have come up with over the years? I'm going to get shot right here, so y'all be ready, okay? How many have ever passed a sign that says King James only on the sign of a church? Don't hate me about because I said something about the King James, right? Because that's the one Paul used. How many passed that? That's a man thing. It's got to be King James. It's got to be this hymnal. It's got to be this. It's got to be that. We do it. So it's not just the church back here. We do the same thing. We put man's laws. This is the way it's been. This is the law. And I kind of think we need to go back to Scripture on some things. I kind of think we need to, to, to look at, at all things. And I'm, I'm talking about the church in general. Yes, First Baptist Worthington, but every church, every body of believers, what are you doing things for? He says, if King David and his men can go and eat consecrated bread, and you're coming at me because I picked some grain, you're coming at my men because we were hungry and picked grain, and it's even stated in the law. Do you see the irony there? The lawgiver, those people who know the law the best, have changed it and made it suit themselves. Here's the second thing he spoke about. He spoke of the priest. Verses 5 and 6. You see, the priests were tasked to deliver these sacrifices. But guess what day they were supposed to deliver them on? The Sabbath. So wait, the priests, on that day that you're saying, we picked this grain so we're working, we were just hungry, just picked this grain, we're working. But you're saying... It's okay for King David to do that. And then you're, you're turning around and say, well, okay, so the priest can work, and they're okay. They weren't condemned for working on the Sabbath. That'd be like saying to me, hey, you're wrong, Justin, because you're preaching on the Sabbath. This would be work. I don't know how many times I have people come to me and say, hey, can you go do this? I said, dude, I'm a preacher. That's the one day a week I work. That's for you, Eric. That's our work day. So where's our Sabbath? It's somewhere else. See, it's not a day. I don't care what you hear. It's not a specific. If you really want to get to it, maybe it should be on Saturday. I don't know. God and his mercy and love towards man and beast says there's going to be one day that you set out that you rest. And he's like... This is not work. I don't know how lazy you got to be to think that picking some grain off the top and eating it is work. I'm making light of this. Do you see how ridiculous this is? He talks of these priests. They weren't condemned for working on the Sabbath. In fact, it suggested that man's traditions are wrong. So they say it's okay to do this, but we're going to say in man's tradition that this is it's a little dicey. So you better not do it. You're going to be sinned. You're going to go to hell. Here's the third thing. 
spoke of a prophet. He talks of David and his men as they ate the consecrated bread. He's making a point to these, you understand, he's making a point to these scribes and Pharisees. You are saying that we are breaking the law, but but King David didn't. You're saying that we're, we're breaking the law, but these priests don't when they do their sacrifices every day. You're saying we, we've, we've broken the law, but, but look at the prophet Hosea in 6.6, 6, and he quotes them. Look at verse 12, I mean chapter 12, verse 7. But if you had known what this means, I desire compassion and not a sacrifice. I want to read that again. I desire compassion and not sacrifice. You would not have condemned Sabbath, as I said, was an act of mercy from God to man and beast. It was God saying, rest. Nowhere in Scripture, if there's there in Scripture, you bring it to me. Nowhere in Scripture is there a law that would circumvent mercy and love to God's people. Nowhere. Later in the text, if we were to continue reading, we're not going to do that this morning. You continue reading, he leaves this place, there. They're on him about this. Well, they go to the temple, and he walks into the or the synagogue. He walks into their synagogue, and there's a man with a, a wrinkled hand or a withered hand. And he begins to speak to them. Do, should we not have compassion? He just stated that God, that God wants what? Compassion. And so Jesus Christ is supposed to walk into the temple. Here's a withered man. He's got the ability to heal him. And he's supposed to pass him by and say, I can't do that on Sunday. No. And he heals him. Oh, but that still, that changed their mind, right? That changed the Pharisees' mind. They, they decided we better get right with God here. No, they tried to kill him. They began to think together how they could take him out of the picture, but it wasn't his time, and so he left. Nowhere in Scripture, nothing that we can think of should ever circumvent mercy and love. I don't know how this applies in every way to our church or to any church. Um, We can certainly come up with all kinds of things. And I'm certainly not here this morning to to beat up and berate our church because we're doing some wonderful things. And we're trying to do the right things. But I'm sure there if we go and look, and we are, I am, at everything that we do. Because we want to stay away from legalism. Do we understand that? This is legalism, not mercy and love. We all know churches that are in that vein. Let me give you three things to know this morning. We understand that he has replied, given them these examples. He's basically saying, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. I'm the King of kings. I'm the priest above all priests. I'm the prophet above all prophets. Don't worry about this, right? You move on. You're being legalistic. But if we're just going to take something home today, I want you to get this. Man's law can never trump God's law. Man's law can never trump God's law. 
when you begin to take man's law or traditions over what God says and what we understand, it's over. Legalism in churches today is it's cancer. And God will have nothing to do with it. So we stay focused on the word. Everything we do is for Christ and for him only. Everything that we do needs to be biblically based. Everything that we do, everything that we teach has to match up with scripture, not man's law. Y'all know me by now, right? If we can't do that, if we can't do that, then I'm not your guy. We've got to move. Man's law can never trump God's law. Here's the second thing. Man's traditions are often wrong. Now you can write over to the side, duh, right? Can you say that in a pulpit? I feel like Mr. Chriswell. Dr. Chriswell would be upset with me right now for using duh. To me, that's a duh statement. Man's traditions are often wrong. It, we don't mean for them to be wrong. These, now understand this. These scribes and Pharisees, they were going after Jesus, defending God. In their mind, they were defending God. In their mind, they were trying to set things right. In their mind, they were doing the right thing because that's what they knew. But in their minds, they weren't searching the Scripture. That's why Jesus brings up Hosea's quote. That's why he continues to go back to Scripture. He says, look, you, you're saying this. You're scribes and Pharisees. This is what the scripture says. Don't add to it. Man's traditions are often wrong. And I want you to circle often. Not because it's a lot of time, but because it's not always wrong. There's some wonderful traditions in the church. There's some wonderful things that we do that are so God-honoring and amazing, and we need to keep doing those things. Here's the third thing. God desires mercy and love. As I think about the, the man in the synagogue with the withered hand, I think about my Lord Jesus walking into that synagogue. And instead of the horror that it would have been for Jesus Christ to have the power he had to heal that man and to walk by him, is a horrible thought. But he didn't. And that makes me think in my own weird ways. It makes me think about my sin. It makes me think about how messed up and how lifeless I was before I met Jesus Christ. Before I truly met Jesus Christ. It makes me think about how far away from God that I could be. If that withered hand was anything, then maybe I had a complete withered body. If we looked at all my sin, 
See, I'm not judging you this morning. I'm taking a hard look at myself. And I am praising God this morning, as I pray you do as you leave here, that it was God's mercy and love. And he decided one day when I accepted him as my Lord and Savior to straighten me out. Just like that old withered hand. To, to make me right before God. Nothing I deserved. There's nothing that guy deserved with the withered hand. He didn't deserve to be healed. He was a sinner like all of us, but Christ did. None of us deserve what we get with our relationship with Jesus Christ. But he went to a cross and he died. He wasn't thinking about any laws or any traditions or anything other than I am dying for my people because I love them and I want to show mercy because they can't do it on their own. That's the gospel. Christ died for you and he died for me. It has nothing to do with these laws or anything. Sometimes I wonder if we get too far away from the simple, perfect, and important gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't want us to be that way. I think as a church we ought to be motivated to provide as many opportunities as we can to get the gospel message outside of these walls and to everyone who will listen. Heck, anyone, they don't care if they listen or not, right? Glad God didn't look at me in my sin and say, he's not worth it. We don't want to be a church that says, that person needs the gospel because they're dressed right. Kind of the same kind of irony and junk in here. That, that person can't come to this church because they don't have the right jeans or this, that, and the other. Let me tell you something. If you got clothes on, I will draw the line. It's not being a distraction, okay? If you got clothes on, come on in. I don't care what they look like. I don't care if they're jeans or slacks, long sleeve, short sleeve, tie. I don't care. Come hear the word of God preached. Christ didn't worry about all that when he died on the cross for you. Amen? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I'm praying that you would move and, and Father I'm, I'm coming before you and I'm so thankful for all the wonderful things this church does I'm so thankful for the heart of this church and so I come before you God and I ask that you would reveal to us reveal to the leadership reveal to to anyone, if there is something in the way we do things, if there is anything in our hearts and our minds that would add to your word, that would take away from your word, Father, I pray that you reveal that so that we might deal with it. Father, we want to be Christ-centered, gospel-motivated, 
And I pray that we're the example for everyone in this community. Father, I know there may be some in this room that's never accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Perhaps they're not understanding all the things we're talking about here, but Father, I pray that you would draw them to you and that today, in our time of invitation, you would move in their heart that they might come down this aisle and just confess that they want to be saved, that they want what others have, that they, they want to be free from the bondage of sin. And they want to be clean as they stand before the Lord. Father, your word says that you are faithful and that you'll do just that. Father, I ask that you move in a very special way. It's in Jesus' name I pray.